Our guest on the program, Oklahoma U.S. Senator James Langford. Thanks for coming to, to town and stopping by the studio today. Yeah, glad to be able to do it. Come in the palatial studio here on yeah. the big panoramic windows <laughs> and get a chance to be able to hang out. Uh, you get to Chickasha quite a bit. I do. So, I um, do. Yeah, I'm through town pretty mm -hmm. often and I uh, get a chance to just be able to visit. I haven't been actually here in studio yeah. in, a, in a few years. We were trying to do the math on it. Well, I think it's been four years. Yeah, since I've actually that's been way too studio. long. So. I know. Let's, let, we, we can keep the conversation going. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. So uh, some of the business at hand, uh, of course, the hot topic right now is uh, what's going on in the uh, Russia-Ukraine border. And it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's scary. It's been going on for, I don't know, four or six weeks longer probably. But it just has. lately, just the tension is just... Uh, keeps growing. Yeah, we lose track of the fact and lose track of the days. In 2014 mm -hmm. is when the Russians just moved into Crimea, which is Ukraine, by the way, and into the Donbass, which is Ukraine, and they just took it over in those areas. And and it's been bloody in the eastern part of the of the country in the Donbass area ever since. Uh, in 2017, Oklahoma National Guard went to Ukraine for an entire year, pulled their troops off the front line, and trained them how to shoot, how to do medical care, how to do evacuation, reorganize their whole structure of their command structure. Oklahoma National Guard are the folks that actually went there for a whole year to Ukraine to be able to train the Ukrainians how to be able to fight the Russians. So we've been very engaged in this for a long time. But what Russia's doing right now with 150,000 troops, they've literally moved over half of their ground forces from the entire country, all the way from the China Russia border all the way to the western part of their country. Over half of their ground forces now surround uh, uh, the uh, area around uh, Ukraine on three it's sides. Huge. Oh, it's, it's a huge it's, border. It's a huge border, and it's a massive military buildup. My, my, my favorite statement from the Russians, and this was two days ago, uh, one of the Russian diplomats made a comment to BBC when they challenged about the troop forces there. They said, well, no one is saying that the Ukrainians also have 100,000 soldiers on their border with us. I was like, yeah, they're there because you have 150,000 people coming at them. So they're literally the Russians are trying to blame the Ukrainians now, saying the buildup is only because the Ukrainians are at the border. It's just bizarre dealing with Putin. He never, never speaks truth. The, the, the country, we think about how big Russia is, and sometimes we think about the Soviet Union for the old guys like us and to be able to look back on it. But Russia's total economy is smaller than the economy of Texas. So Russia's not this big, massive country that they've been before. They're really a gas station. They sell oil. They sell natural gas. But their economy is just incredibly weak beyond that. And Putin is trying to stay relevant on the world stage and to make everyone pay attention to him. And he certainly got everybody's attention. Oh, he's got yeah, everyone's no attention. Doubt. Yeah, yeah and we see the oil prices and natural gas prices going up, which is good on the one hand but right. still it's yeah. uh, it's helpful to oklahoma but it's also helpful to russia yep and so russia is literally running up the price of natural gas and running up the price of oil by putting troops all around ukraine uh, basically and we, we have no idea if putin's going to move in or not we have no way to guess he looks like he is he's definitely moved forces like he's going to do it uh, but he continues each day to say i'm not going to move in unless i'm provoked i'm not going to move in unless i'm provoked but then he's also trying to create provocations to say do something and then I'm going to move over and blame it on you. Who blanks first, I guess. Yeah, huh? it's, it's 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 really what it is, and so it, it's a sad situation. We, we shouldn't have American troops on the ground in Ukraine right now. This is Ukraine's fight against the Russians, but Ukraine is a functioning democracy. Obviously, Russia is a dictatorship, uh, so we we don't need to see rolling dictatorships through Europe uh, like what we saw in World War II. That we know how that movie ends. Uh, that's a bad scene. So helping the Ukrainians fight back against the Russians and be able to hold their own is helpful to us, but we need to be able to guard our blood uh, staying out of there as well. 
but it, it's, a, it's a serious day, and I do encourage people to be able to pray for the peace in that region because it has far-reaching implications. Let's talk about uh, some of the things going on at the home front. And of course, uh, inflation is a big topic, yeah, a big too, issue. right now, and it's just the worst it's been in 40 years. And yeah. Everybody feels it. 7.5% inflation. And again, for, for anyone that's over, let's say, 40, 45 years old, they remember the time of Jimmy Carter. I mean, they, they remember what inflation was really like during that time period. But everyone that's 45 and younger has never seen inflation like this in their life. They have no idea uh, what this really feels like. To them, inflation is something that's around 2% or less every year, and you really don't notice it. 7.5%, and once you get inflation moving, it keeps accelerating. It's very hard to be able to stop because you have to pay people more to be able to keep up with rising prices. And then as people make more, they pay more for rising prices. And because you're paid more, they charge more for the item then, which causes the price to go up again. And it just keeps feeding mm -hmm. itself once it gets going. It's why it's so bad in every administration prior to this one, since Jimmy Carter has fought against inflation, this administration seems to think it's no big deal. But th this is an American issue. Uh, I've had folks say, well, this is a COVID problem. It's worldwide. That's not true. Japan doesn't have inflation like this. Australia doesn't have inflation like this. South Korea doesn't have inflation like this. Canada doesn't. The UK doesn't. Germany doesn't. Italy doesn't. Spain doesn't. Th this is an American issue that the policies of the Biden administration that they put in place are really driving this high inflation in our country. And until we can get them to stop, and that's what we're working on, is get them to stop these policies, this doesn't get better. Uh, the Biden uh, 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 administration popularity yeah. is in the tank. Oh, it's in the tank, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's in the tank. It's in the it's in the thirty some odd as far as their favorability. If you ask Americans, are we on the right track, wrong track? The latest poll I saw, it was a couple of weeks ago now, was seventy two percent of the country says we're on the wrong track. Seventy two percent. That's an enormous number of people, which also makes me think, who are the 28 percent that says this is going good? That, yeah, this is about right. Uh, but there's 72 percent of the country that looks at it and says, no, no this is not the way it should be. Uh, whether that be how the president handled Afghanistan, inflation, how he's handling oil and gas issues, how he's handling Russia, uh, how he's handled so many areas about covid. Uh, everybody in the world is open now. Uh, all the businesses are open uh, in our state and in multiple other states, and Biden still has federal offices shut down. Most people are still telecommuting in federal offices and have masks and all the mandates they're laying down. People just feel that's not the right thing to be able to do, and that, not a Republican-Democrat thing. It's just an American freedom issue, and people just don't like it. And uh, they, they seem to be relaxing some of the issues, and uh, a lot of the strategists are saying it's because of the midterms. Oh, uh, yeah. coming they're, up. They're, they're, they're pretending they're relaxing some of these issues, but you're right. It's because the American people are pushing back. I've been pounding away things on like the vaccine mandates since September the 8th when the president announced it. We started going after it immediately. Uh, I've written the amicus brief that goes to the Supreme Court in the case that they actually took where we won that Supreme Court case. I was part of writing that actual uh, amicus brief. We've, we've continued to be at work on pieces of legislation, all kinds of letters, all kinds of phone calls and meetings. But these are just the issues you've got to be able to do the work behind the scenes to be able to help press back on it. But the administration, I think, will relax other mandates and things like this because they do feel the people of America don't like this. Even San Francisco this week just recalled three of their school board members in San Francisco. You're like, okay, the crazy left just threw out more people in the crazy left because they're saying you're even too crazy left for us. Uh, and I think it's just where people are right now. It, again, it's not a Republican-Democrat thing. It's just an American issue. And uh, talk about uh, the truckers in Canada. Uh, uh, yeah. 
really uh, raising cane, and uh, that's that's something else. Yeah, it is. It's in Ottawa. I mean, they're yeah. they're they're pushing back on uh, all the Canadian mandates and uh, what's happening, and they're basically saying, "Leave us alone. Let us drive. Let us do our work." Again, you've got a trucker and a long haul truck. It's probably not going to spread a lot of virus around in his in his cab of his truck here. And there's all kinds of issues that they're facing in Canada. And the truckers are basically saying enough is enough. And it's it's interesting. That group of truckers in Canada, and you think Canada is the, the least protest kind of country. I mean, you, to get a group of Canadians to protest something is they'll, like, do a shrug out loud, okay? They're not exactly known for protesting. The entire world is watching Canada at this point saying that's how we feel of what they're doing. And uh, do you think there's going to be some movement in uh, the states. Oh, there will be. Uh, with, there will be. That. Yeah, they're, they're, they talked about maybe doing stuff because the Super Bowl last week. I guess. That yeah, they did. That. Now, now they're talking yeah. about if they're going to leave from California, drive all the way across the country, and get to D.C. and try to lock up D.C. with truckers as well. Because the issue right now is really not most states. Because you're right, as you mentioned earlier, most states are dropping a lot of these mandates on it, saying everybody's sick of these in schools and businesses and everything else. But if you come to D.C., it was only this last week, just last Tuesday, that. Um, the restaurants in D.C. dropped their requirement to be able to show your vaccine card and a photo ID to be able to eat. Okay, to eat food in D.C., you have to show a vaccine card and a photo ID. You don't have to show photo ID to vote, but you do to eat in Washington, D.C. And again, people just left D.C. and said, I'll go eat in Virginia or I'll go eat in Maryland or something else, and people are tired of it. So even D.C. is starting to turn around, but I, I, I get it. If, if you go to the IRS or Social Security and try to deal with Social Security right now or to veterans' issues and try to get somebody live in person, good luck. We've been pounding on this for a while, but Biden's keeping everybody on telework status in the federal government. There's very few people in the agencies that are actually returning to office when everybody else is already in their office. You recently uh, made a trip to the uh, uh, Mexico-U.S. border, and uh, we haven't heard much about that. It's interesting how the national media can can just change on a dime like that. Yeah, the national uh, media just says, nothing to see here, move along, move along, yeah. I definitely not. I serve on the committee of jurisdiction on that. Uh, I serve on the committee of what's called the Border Management Subcommittee. And so I'm down there pretty often trying to be able to engage with folks, meeting with Border Patrol, meeting with Customs and Border Protection, meeting with the ICE agents, trying to be able to see what's actually happening on the ground. Because you're right, the national media is not talking about that. And this administration's slow walking the information that they have. Things that the Trump administration used to turn around, and quite frankly, the Obama administration even did. Every two weeks or every week, we'd get new data dumps of here's what's actually happening on the ground. This administration just drags it out for months and says, we're, we're organizing it. We're getting it going. They've got the data. They just don't want to let go of it. So here are the facts. Last year, over 2 million people illegally crossed our southern border that we know of. It's the highest year in the history of us keeping records. What the Biden administration is doing is they're incentivizing people to be able to cross our border illegally, and they're not trying to stop it. We have hundreds of thousands of people they've released in the country, and the individuals that cross the border and say, I want asylum, they give them a piece of paper and say, okay, show up for your asylum hearing six years from now, six years from now, and you can stay in the country with a semi-legal status for the next six years while you await your asylum hearing, knowing that if they don't show up for the hearing, no one's going to come looking for them either. And so once they hand them a piece of paperwork and say, you can be here for the next six years, they do the obvious thing. They pick up their phone. They text somebody back home and say, I'm in the country. I got a six-year pass into the United States. 
come pay this cartel member. This is how I got through Mexico. Come through this crossing. Say the same thing that I did, and I'll meet you wherever they're living now in the United States because they're completely released into the country by the hundreds of thousands all over our country right now. Uh, so we're continuing to be able to press back on this because this administration could stop this, but they're not. And so we're continuing to be able to fight this back. Uh, they, and they've started doing a couple of things. Uh, we've been pounding on with things like border wall construction. Border Patrol has been very active, saying that's very helpful to them to have those sections of the wall. When they ended construction last January, there were big gaps in the wall, maybe 60 foot wide in some areas where they were just about to complete it. So the administration said, okay, we'll close the gaps. So when I was down there three weeks ago, I wanted to be able to see the way they're closing the gaps. The Trump wall is like 30 feet tall. And then you've got the Biden close the gap. It's a six-foot picket fence in between. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I called it a precious little fence. Uh, but they, they call it a guardrail, actually, down there on the southern border. It, it, it's, it's worthless what they're doing. But it's just so they can say they close the gaps, but they're not really closing the gaps. Uh, Brandon Judd, who is the uh, head of the Border Patrol Council for the entire country, he came out just this last week and endorsed me in my campaign uh, for the U.S. Senate. And his statement was, this is a guy that's actually helping us on the Border Patrol actually expose what's going on, get stuff done. And so I'm proud to be able to stand with the men and women of the Border Patrol. They're doing a remarkable job in a very difficult time right now. I'm glad to be able to have their support in my campaign, but I'm glad to have them on the line right now. They're out there on the line. They want to be law enforcement officers, and the Biden administration's turned them into hotel check-in staff, just waving people in. Let's talk about uh, the uh, uh, the deficit. It yeah. just keeps growing uh, minute by minute. Yeah, it is and, second by second even. Yeah. We just crossed the $30 trillion mark, $30 trillion. We can't even process that. If you, the, the only way I can process that kind of thing is a, a transition into time. If you take – instead of dollars, you did seconds – 30 trillion seconds is actually a million years. A million years of time. That's 30 trillion seconds. That is an enormous number that's out there that we just can't even process how big this number really is. Um, I, I've got a book that we put out every year called Federal Fumbles. It's coming out fairly soon. Um, the, the fumble book we identify. Here's how to get rid of our debt. Here's where the debt's coming from. Here's how we can actually attack it. Here's our frustration. We keep proposing these solutions all the time. But most of Congress, by the way, Republican and Democrat, just yawn when you get into debt issues. Because it's like, you know what? We're doing fine. The economy's doing fine. But we're not. We're spending over half a trillion dollars in interest payments right now. Just in interest So what happens? I mean, something's the bubble's got to burst. It does. It does. And no one really knows where that is. And you never know until the actual moment. And that's the hard part about it. It's kind of like blowing up the balloon. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But everybody knows. At some point, it's too big. And it breaks. It's the same thing with national debt. We're now more, we have more debt than we have the total economy of the United States. So you get a debt that big, and people don't want to be able to deal with it. It makes it really tough. So the, the way to be able to deal with it, it's not hard. It's really twofold. You've got to have a growing economy, and you've got to reduce your spending. Okay, it's like for anybody else. If you're deep into debt, you've got to make more money, and you've got to reduce what you're actually spending to be able to catch up. But you're not going to be able to do it in a year. You're not going to be able to do it in 10 years. It's going to take 40 years to just chip away at this a little bit every single year to even be able to get close to it. 
but right now no one wants to take the first step. So we're proposing all kinds of things. And here's how we deal with our trust funds. Here's how we deal with our spending. Here's what we can actually do with our tax policy. We're laying out the agenda to say there is a way to get out of this, but everybody's got to commit to it and stay committed to it because you can't be committed to it for a month and then move on. This is a big, massive jumbo mortgage we got to take on. Yeah, and uh, can't even pass a, a full budget. You have to, you know, you pass a transitional CRs, budget for yeah. The, yeah. Uh, three months or six months or whatever that is. And, yeah, Sh- yeah, Schumer and Pelosi have yet to even bring up appropriation bills. The, the 12 appropriation bills that are supposed to be done in September, they've not even brought them to the floor. And it's a little bit past September now. Uh, we're now in February about to approach March, and it, they still have literally not even brought up the 12 appropriation bills even for a vote. Uh, so we're we're pressing them. My fear is, honestly, my fear is is that there'll be some folks, even in my own party, that'll step up and say, we need to get these appropriation bills done. Let's just spend more so we can get the bills done and so we can move on, and it'll just add more and more debt to it. We, we have to have serious moments. You go back to 2011 and 12 and the Budget Control Act. In 2012 and 13, we actually went down in federal spending. It can be done, but you've got to actually be focused to be able to do that. That Budget Control Act forced us as a Congress to be able to sit down and be able to have that conversation. So it's not that it just goes up every year. That's not true. If you have the hard conversations, everybody sits down. At that time, it was a Republican House, a Democrat Senate, and a Democrat President. And the three groups all sat down together, hashed it out. We reduced spending over the next several years. And then it just seemed like it just took off all over again. So get ready to uh, file for re-election of the, yeah. on the campaign trail, obviously, and out meeting some folks. And you got some got some challengers on both sides of the aisle. I do. It's, it's kind of typical, I guess. Welcome yeah. to America. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's always uh, it's kind of like Hollywood. That looks easy on the movies, uh, but when you jump in and actually start doing the job, you find out it's a lot tougher than it looks actually doing the job of it. We'll always have folks uh, that'll want to jump in and say, "Hey, I want to try that. I want to go jump in. I want people to call me senator." Oh, okay. Uh, and we'll go resolve that. Uh, my job uh, right now is to keep the focus on what I'm doing in the Senate, not lose focus, because I have a responsibility to be able to serve faithfully. And when I'm back home on weekends and at other times, like I am this weekend, I get a chance to be able to get out to Oklahomans and talk to them. I treat campaigns like job interviews, quite frankly. It's just a really long job interview. And I go to people say, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm all about. Here's the work. Here's my competency level. And people can decide who they're going to hire or not. And uh, so I just put it out there and say, if you want to be able to hire me, it's June the 28th. If you want to find out more about what I'm doing, it's jameslankford.com. And you go to jameslankford.com, it explains who I am, what I'm all about. If people want to get involved to volunteer or to donate or to just pray pray with us, we've got a prayer team that also engages with us. Uh, then go to jameslankford.com, and it's got all the details there, and then get a chance to be able to track us. Or if they want just a reminder, because I've had folks, even last weekend when I was home, said, I'm really looking forward to voting for you in November. I'm like, well, that's nice, but could you vote for me in June? Because <laughs> the election's actually June the 28th. Yeah. And, uh, and people go, oh, it's June. And I was like, yeah, it's June the 28th. And uh, so if, if you want a reminder of that, you can actually sign up on our site as well, and then we'll send you a reminder out right before it to make sure people don't forget. So what, what's on people's minds other than some of the topics we've talked about this morning? Oh, definitely people are asking about Ukraine. Everybody's worried. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't want their sons and daughters going to Ukraine right now, but they don't like what's happening there. Lots of folks asking about the border, as you asked about as well. I also get lots of folks asking about the McGirt decision and kind of know what's the future of the state and where are things going in those tribal negotiations and crime and what does this actually look like that comes up quite a bit in just dialogue right now and it's the uncertainty is really the killer there because it it feels like it's unresolved because it is unresolved 
And so everybody's just trying to figure out what direction that's going to go. We've got some major proposals that we have on the table trying to actually get a resolution to bring tribal members, non-tribal members, the state and the federal delegation all together. We're all Oklahomans. We can figure this out. Uh, we just got to all sit at the same table and to be able to work it all out. I always tell people you can't, you can't get all the issues on the table until you get all your feet under the table and sit down and actually work this out. That's what we're trying to be able to pull together all parties together and to say, here's a proposal. And right now, most everybody in the group is all nodding their head going, okay, that looks like a fair proposal, but we got to get this solved. Let's talk about uh, our senior population and uh, yeah. talk about uh, what it's like for Medicare and social security recipients and those folks. Yeah, it's a big issue right now. The, the key issue they hear all the time is about prescription drugs and the rising price of prescription drugs, the availability of doctors, how long it takes to be able to get an appointment. Some of that is because of the reimbursement that's happening right now in Medicare and Medicaid. If Medicare and Medicaid aren't reimbursing enough, fewer doctors take Medicare and Medicaid, it makes it harder for people to get into be a first-time patient before. If you've moved from another state or from another part of the state and you think, I've got to get a new doctor on it, good hunting right now in Oklahoma because they may say, love to take you on as a new client. Our first appointment is open four and a half months from now uh, to try to get in as a, as a new patient. We've got to be able to fix that. That's, that's increasing education uh, to create more doctors coming in the field. It's increasing reimbursements. Uh, I have folks that'll catch me and say, doctors make way too much money. <laughs> I just laugh. And I think, okay, let, let me just say this to you. If, if I'm going to go into surgery and somebody's going to cut me today, uh, I want that person to have slept in a really good bed and to drive a really nice car and to not have a fight with their spouse the night before about money. I want them to be in a great mood <laughs> before they come and cut me. Plus the fact they do just years and years of training that's very expensive to be able to get to that spot. And very few people are willing to be able to put in the time to do it. So I don't mind rewarding people for putting in the work to be able to do it when they really have a very high risk job. Because if they mess up and they cut me in the wrong place, it's pretty awful for them and for me. Uh, so well-trained, well, well-paid folks doesn't, doesn't offend me on that, but we got to figure out because it also affects the federal budget. The prescription side of it is an area I work on all the time, especially with independent pharmacists. They're really getting squeezed by a group behind the scenes. No one's ever heard of called pharmacy benefit managers. They're squeezing all these independent pharmacists. And uh, quite frankly, most people that go to pick up a, a farm, uh, something for a prescription for their pharmacist, and they either find out they can't get it there or their pharmacist will tell them, I can't dispense this. The reason is the pharmacy benefit manager actually uh, will not allow them to even make reimbursement costs on that particular prescription because of that particular insurance and that particular independent pharmacist. We're fixing that. We've got several things we're working with. I would tell you, I don't talk often in positive things about the Biden administration. This scenario where the Biden administration has been willing to be able to partner with me on trying to be able to fix that pharmacy benefit manager piece that, that's in the background. They've actually been very cooperative behind the scenes, and we're very aggressively going after it. There's four of us in the Senate, two Republicans, two Democrats, partnering with the Biden administration to work on that exact issue. So don't say I never say anything nice about Biden. I just did. But I'm willing to be able to say, if he's willing to work with us on the right things, let's do it. Uh, I'm kind of a, I don't know if you read the stuff from George Will. Uh, he's a longtime writer. Uh, he has a, a saying that he says, truth is not responsible for its owner. Uh, I don't have to say, we may disagree with each other 95% of the time, but in the 5% of the time we agree together, let's work on it. Talk about uh, <clears throat> President Biden's uh, Supreme Court nominee. Oh, yeah. that's, uh, that's kind of a... 
Yeah, I, I, I think he'll lay his nominee down this week. Mm-hmm. I really do, because the State of the Union is the next week. And so I think he's going to announce his nominee uh, at some point this week. We don't know who it is. He's already announced as a black female, uh, which I, I don't have a problem with him picking a black female on it. What I'm looking for, though, is somebody who's going to be consistent with the Constitution. That's what I'm really looking for. I don't, I don't care their color of skin. I don't care their background. Are they going to follow the Constitution as it was originally written and intended to be written? That's the key thing for me. I don't want someone on the bench that's writing law. The job in the court is interpreting the law. So that's the biggest issue, and that's what I'm going to watch for on it. And quite frankly, from the statements that he's made of who he's looking for, he keeps saying he just wants someone to be fair on the bench. I was like, well, fair is kind of um, kind of loose in that. I, I can say that's fair. You, you, can, you can have one person say they're going to be fair to one customer, then they're going to be fair differently to the next customer and fair differently to the next customer. Fair is this subjective piece. I, I don't want fair. I want follow the law. Now, I want fair laws written, but then the court's supposed to follow the law and let the legislative branch determine what is fair and what we actually write into the law. So, yeah, I'm concerned about who he's going to actually put out there. Uh, but, uh, again, I, I'm going to hold my judgment and put that in reserve, but I'm pretty skeptical that he's going to put someone forward that I think is going to actually be somebody that's going to follow the Constitution. It's next week. We'll have about a month then of just interviews. I'll sit down with the, whoever the nominee is. All 100 senators will have an opportunity to be able to sit down with them face-to-face. We'll do face-to-face interviews. Then there'll be a week's worth of hearings in front of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and then after that, it'll come before the full Senate to be able to make a decision, I would say, probably in the next two and a half months or so. Uh, former President Trump still making the headlines. Uh, just, Do you think he's going to run in boy, two more years? Boy, no one knows. He's acting like he's going to yeah. run, but he's not announced. Uh, but he's talking about it, and he keeps hinting, saying, well, I'm going to make an announcement people are really going to like, and he drops that out there all the time, uh, which is great. I mean, he's a former president of the United States. Presidents always are relevant uh, in a political party, and they'll continue to be able to stay relevant on that. And he is a person that's he's worked very hard to continue to be able to stay relevant. He's spoken out on things like Ukraine. Uh, he's spoken out on things like Afghanistan, that this wouldn't have happened under his watch. This uh, inflation that we're experiencing right now would not have happened if it was on his watch because there's no way he would have he would have pushed to be able to pass the bills that actually pushed past last year. He'd have vetoed those things if they would have come through a Democrat Congress. He would have never pushed it through in the White House, never allowed it. So, yeah, I agree. Border would be different if he was there. Inflation would be very different if he was there. How we handled Afghanistan would have been very different if he was there. So he's right to be able to stand up and say, hey, I'm different. Now, whether he runs or not, no one knows. Uh, We'll see in the days ahead. There's a whole bunch of other folks uh, that are Republicans that are all kind of talking out there, trying to figure out if he's going to run or not. Yeah, but is there anybody strong enough to... uh to take him on, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think there'll be a couple of folks that will actually step out. Uh, and if he, I think they're getting ready. There's all these other Republicans that are getting ready in case he decides and says, "Hey, the announcement I'm going to give you is I'm going to support somebody good next time." I mean, that, that could be what he would say. No, no one really knows on it, uh, so we'll see what direction he goes. But you've got folks like Mike Pompeo, uh, you got Mike Pence, you have uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, you've got Ted Cruz, uh, you've got. Um, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, I mean, there, there's um, Tom Cotton from Arkansas. There, there's a whole list of folks that are out there. There's probably 12 or 13 Republicans that are looking at it, just getting ready, just in case, and uh, trying to make the decision. Now, whether any of those will run if Trump runs, I have no idea. Got, got a lot to determine before yeah, then. So yeah, There's a long way to go between now and then. <clears throat> Oklahoma U.S. Senator James Langford joining us on the program. Thanks so much. You bet. Glad to be able to visit with you again today.